What is up, Red Rocks Church? How we doing today? Good? Some of you like, oh, we don't dance in church. We do. Welcome if you're visiting with us. My name's Chad. We're in the beginning of a really fun series we do every year, uh, this time of year. It's our relationship series, and uh, we have titled it Power Couple. Uh, I'll let you in on why in a couple of minutes, but I just want to do this before we go any further. I want to make sure we welcome all of the Denver metro area campuses that are joining us, Lakewood, Evergreen, Arvada, Littleton, the uh, men and women at God Behind Bars. Can we give it up for them? We love you guys so much. So grateful that we get to worship with you. And of course, the newest member of our family all the way across the pond. We love you guys at our Brussels campus. Can we also give it up for them and say hello? We love you guys so much. Such an honor that we get to worship with you every weekend. I want to, before we go any further, just do what matters most. I want us all to collectively at all of our campuses, I want us to pray together. I want to make sure we know who's in charge of this service. I want to make sure that we always understand that without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit doing what only the Holy Spirit of God can do in us and through us, this is a silly thing we do. This is a waste of time. And so, Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now and we submit our hearts and our minds and our spirits and our bodies, God, to you. And we humbly ask that you, Holy Spirit, would teach and you would speak that you would encourage, that you would inspire, that you would convict, that you would counsel. This is what we need, God. This beautiful institution that you designed called marriage is so beautiful, but God, when sin got in the way, it's been under such attack, and it still is even in our church. And so we just declare that in this next month, God, you are gonna do miracles in our relationships, our marriages, broken marriages, future marriages. God, we just believe that redemption's gonna be the theme of this whole month. God, we give this time to you, and we pray it all in the name of your son, Jesus. And everyone said... Amen. So when I was 23 years old, and some of you, you've heard this portion of my story before, but that's all I got. It's my story. So you're stuck with me. When I was 23 years old, uh, I, uh, I don't know theologically what you would believe, but I, I'll say this. I bowed a humble knee to God and asked him that he, by his grace and grace alone, would save me, would forgive me. I'd gotten to my wit's end, and I had gotten to the end of my rope, and God's all, you can always find him at the end of your rope. That's another sermon for another day, though. And I just asked him to forgive me, and I had seen uh, two decades and a few years of my parents' faithful, genuine relationship with Jesus. And I said, you know what? I think he's the answer. So I got saved. And very quickly after that, I was living in Springfield, Missouri. I moved to Rockford, Illinois. You hear Sean and I and Parks talk a lot about Rockford, Illinois, because that's where we all met up. And that's where we came from. I quickly got out of my hometown in Springfield because there was nothing redemptive there. Sometimes after you get saved, you just need to move, right? Anybody with me on that? And that was me. And so I moved to this obscure city in Northern Illinois called Rockford. And I go to this pretty intense discipleship program where I prayed for an hour a day and read my Bible for an hour a day. And then we spent the rest of our days and nights just serving the local church there, whatever they wanted us to do. And it was awesome. But here's what wasn't so awesome is I started to read God's word and he started to do something in me that I didn't realize he was going to do. He started to reframe and renew my mind as a related to romance, as a related to how I was supposed to approach and treat women. I came across passages of scripture like Proverbs 31, where it talks about what the attributes of a woman of noble character was like. And I started reading that over and over and I found myself memorizing some of the verses in the, what's supposed to be the chick chapter. I started 
started memorizing verses in Proverbs 31, and I started finding myself praying for a woman like that, knowing I didn't deserve her based on my past. But I started praying for a woman like that Proverbs 31 woman. And the problem with that, as great as that sounds, is all of a sudden you start to find your standards going way up and way up and way up. And so from 23 to like 28, I didn't date anyone, right? And you single people, be like, I know, I'm, that's awful, that's horrible, right? And, and the problem was is guys like Sean and Parks and BZ, all my friends in, in Illinois, they were starting to find girlfriends, Some of them were getting engaged. Sean was engaged, and I'm sitting there, and we're all going through the same program together and interning together and pastoring, and so I'm praying, and I'm like, I'm I'm whining more than I'm praying is what I'm really doing because I'm like, woe is me. I'm always the groomsman, never the groom. Sean just got engaged to Jill, and I know I'm as godly as him. What's up with that, God? And Parks has been married since I've known him. I don't even know if he's saved this week, Lord. And so I don't know what's going on. What am I doing wrong, God? Why have you left me? Why have you forsaken me, right? And, and here's what's interesting about today, where you're at right now, is you can never even be close to aware of how much providence God has in this moment right now when you're in that moment. It always takes retrospect, does it not? It always takes us stepping back and in time going, oh, God, you were so much more involved than I ever thought because the whole time that I was whining about, where's my girl, God? It's like God looked down and, and, and he knew what I didn't know. My wife is nine years younger than me. So God's like, you wanna know where she's at, Chad? And I'm like, yeah, God, that's why I'm praying to you. She's in junior high. <laughs> Pump the brakes, buddy. Like, you're all spiritual, Chad. This isn't spiritual. This is statutory stuff. It's just, it's in the Constitution. No, no. Like, got to trust me sometimes, right? And I'd been praying, and then eventually, here's the good news. At at one point, uh, there was a new, I I was a youth pastor at this church, and I'd been there almost uh, six years at this point, and there was a new class of people coming into this discipleship school. And my, what would be future wife, Rachel, was one of those new students. And she was a 19-year-old young girl. And she came in there, and I walked into the sanctuary, and I didn't realize that the class had started yet and that they would all be praying that morning. And for the whole summer, I had prayed in that sanctuary with next to nobody in there in the same road the whole summer. I'm, I'm not a methodical person at all, but it's weird. I don't get it. But for some reason, with spiritual disciplines, like we talked about all last month, I'm extremely methodical. It's like the one Rain Man area I've got in my life. And so I just, God couldn't hear me if I wasn't in that row. And so I walk in and all these kids, it looked like a bunch of ants on a hill just praying, walking back and forth. It's their first day. And I'm like, I'm not going to pray in the sanctuary. And I was like, you know what? I'll give it one shot. And so I'm like, I got to go to my pew because that's the only place God hears me. And I go, I got to go whine some more about my woman. And so I walk around the corner to the pew where I usually pray. And there was this girl in my prayer pew. And at first, I'd like to tell you, I'm so godly. I was like, yeah, that's amazing, wonderful, you take it. I was like, get out of my prayer pew. (laughs) Like, you've been here not even 24 hours, and you've already taken over my sacred space. Like, you got to get out, girl. And I was about ready to walk away, and then for some reason, I just turned around and looked at her again. And then all of a sudden, I had this thing hit my heart that we call chemistry. And all of a sudden, I started feeling some fills. And all of a sudden, I was like, who is that? 
right? And, and I kid you not, you, you know you, we have these memories every now and then in life that are just so vivid and so real, you'll never forget them. This was one of those moments for me. And I just remember, I can see my wife when she was 19 and she had this kind of, she was kind of hunched over, but it wasn't this like, woe is me, like when I pray. She had this like humility in her posture and her arms were just like this. And she had her eyes squeezed so tight when she was praying, she had crow's feet. And no 19 year old girls have crow's feet. She was, it was that intense. And she was talking like this. And my wife, if you know her, she's got a really high, sweet voice. And she was just like, it was like nobody was in that huge sanctuary. It was just her and Jesus. And just something in me went like, I think that's the Proverbs 31 woman I've been praying for. <laughs> and then I realized, oh no, she's dating Jesus for the next nine months. In this program, you don't date for nine months. That's weird to me. You're dating Jesus or whatever, but that's what you do. I know because I went through that program. And so for nine straight months, I literally talked to my wife for a total, I'm not kidding you, a total of five minutes in nine months. And the chemistry that I felt the day that I saw her praying for the first time in my row never went away. In fact, it got stronger. And it was a powerful thing. And I couldn't believe it. Three days after I saw her praying in my row, I told my roommate, and you can take it up with him, God is my witness, I told my roommate, I'm gonna marry that girl. He goes, dude, you're not even gonna like her next week. She can't even date for the next nine months. I go, you watch, I'm gonna marry that girl. I don't know why, I didn't know anything about her, I didn't know her history, I didn't know anything. I just knew there was something divinely special about this girl. I knew she was a powerful woman even though she looked at that time like a young girl. And, and so nine months went by, and the night she was done dating Jesus, I met up with her. <laughs> and I said, now that Jesus dumped you, <laughs> come on, what do you think? I'm no Jesus, but I'll give it a good shot. And we had a talk, and she was going back to Alabama for the rest of the summer, so I'm like, I just got to lay it all out there whether I want to or not. And so I just told her my feelings, and I told her my intentions, and she looked at me, and she very sweetly said, I have a boyfriend back home, and we haven't talked for nine months, and I'm actually going back to him. And I just was like, be cool, Chad. Play it cool. Play it cool. And I go, oh, that's cool. Yeah, no problem. I just kind of liked you and thought, you know, you were cute and nice. And so I just thought, Here, hey, if you ever change your mind or anything, I'm just going to give you my cell phone number. But have fun with, with your boyfriend, and I'm going to go ahead and take off. And I did the thing where I'm like, just, just wait till she's out of sight. Wait till she's out of sight. Wait till she's out of sight. She's out of sight. Oh, God. Why have you forsaken me? Right? Just like I waited nine months, and, and the chemistry I felt with this unknown girl was so real, and yet she went back, and then about eight days later, I get a call from a 256 area code, and I knew that was Bama, and I knew it was her, and she's like, hey, I broke up with my boyfriend. I'm like, I know you did. <laughs> no, I didn't do that at all. I go, oh, yeah, that's cool. You know, whatever. I didn't want to pressure you or anything, but that's cool. I go, actually, I'm getting a call on the other line. Can you, can you, can you hold? Right, I'm doing every dance under, the, I'm doing it all, you know, the lawnmower, the, I'm just everything, I'm doing it. I'm, and I'm like, oh, hey, what were you saying? Your boyfriend or something like that? And she said, you know what, I broke up with my boyfriend and I'd love to go out with you or whatever you asked me. And I was like, all right. And that was all she wrote 15 years later, two dogs, four kids, two kids I'm committed to of the four. <laughs> whole lot of mistakes, some marriage counseling, a lot of marriage counseling, um, a lot of incredible memories, and an amazing wife who reminds me 
of the star of this book we're going to read for the next month called Ruth. She is an amazing woman, and she is, we're going to see all month, she meets divinely this amazing man, and they are the consummate, what we call power couple. Now, a few disclaimers for this whole series, and then we'll get into the scriptures, and these are so important that you hear me. And the first disclaimer is this. At all of our campuses, please listen to me because this is so important. If you are divorced or have ever been divorced or are currently in a divorce or have been divorced more than once, listen to me. You are not a second-class citizen at Red Rocks Church. And here is why. Because if you are a child of God, nobody is a second-class citizen in anything. You are a son and you are a daughter of the king. And as Sean so eloquently said last week, you are perfect if you have been saved by Jesus' grace, period. We already have 100 on the exam when it comes to marriage, right? You're already got an A+. Now we come to church to talk about marriage for the next month so we can get better, so we can grow, so we can learn. But the gospel frees us up during this month to be brutally honest about the deepest parts of our soul, all of the good and all of the bad, the deepest, darkest parts of our marriage or our future marriage or our personal problems that's affecting a potential marriage. We have the freedom to be honest because the gospel has already declared us perfect even though we're still being made holy, right? And that also applies to marriage so we don't have to be fake. We don't have to put on airs. If you've been divorced, God's mercies are new every morning. If you're not dead, God's not done with you, right? If you're still breathing, God has redemption and mercy ready for you and he's ready to rewrite your story for your good and for his glory. We gotta believe that or we shouldn't meet for church ever. That's just it. Second, yeah, we can clap for that. That's why we're here. Second thing is this, we called it power couple, not perfect couple. That does not exist. We forfeited that in the Garden of Eden. So let's put a parameter around what I mean when I say power couple. A power couple is not created by the absence of trouble or by trials or by tragedy because that's just an inevitable fact of every marriage and every life. But rather a power couple is the person who has the presence or the couple that has the presence of humility, loyalty, generosity, and mercy while they're going through trials and troubles and tragedies. And this book of Ruth, this short and sweet book of Ruth, is full of all of the above. And we're going to read. Let's start in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, talking about Israel. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, and her tragedy into the story, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah. I like to call her Oprah because she is every woman. And the other, Ruth. After they lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people in Israel by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law, who is, again, for the story's sake, Orpah and Ruth, prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. And I got to imagine it was pretty short on the trek when she had gotten her her girls that were from Moab. 
and convince them to leave their hometown where she finally, because Naomi, we're going to see throughout all four chapters, you can read it yourself, is a woman of class and character. She had to stop and go, wait a minute, I can't put these women in that type of danger. I can't take widows in ancient times, and if you do the history, you know what a vulnerable and dangerous thing that would have been. She can't take these two widows to Israel. It's just too dangerous without the protection of their husbands. And so she stops and it says, then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back each of you to your mother's home. And then she says this sweet thing, proves her character and integrity. She said, may the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and also to me. Now that word kindness there, we need to stop and we need to talk about for a minute. In the Hebrew, that word kindness is the word hesed. It's H-E-S-E-D. In fact, I'm going to title the message this weekend, hesed. It's a word we need to be familiar with because kindness in the English translation, in the English language, kindness doesn't do nearly justice to the Hebrew term hesed. There is a bunch of adjectives that translators from Hebrew to English would have to use to give us a, a complete definition of the word hesed. Hesed is this, this word about love in the form of covenant. It's like agape in the, in the Greek, in the New Testament. It, it's kind of like that. It, it's this love that goes beyond convenience and it goes beyond chemistry and it just goes beyond how we feel. It's this love that is birthed out of loyalty, number one, and number two, mercy. In fact, one commentator, he, he uh, alluded to it being like food. And I'm a foodie, so I'm like, I get this. Talk, you're talking my language now. He said, think of like a sandwich. What, what holds everything together? Bread, right? And he said, in a relationship, any, especially though in covenant relationship that we call marriage, he said, the bread that holds everything else together is loyalty on one side and mercy on the other. Because how many of you know, you cannot be in a healthy relationship without both. It is, we know that, that's, that's common sense. You can't be in a functioning, healthy relationship without immense amounts of loyalty and commitment, right? But because we live in a sin-stained, broken, fallen world, it is impossible to walk in the loyalty that Hased requires of us if we don't have tons of mercy in our pocket that we're ready to dispense all the time. Like it is a virtual impossibility to be loyal to any one person for any amount of time in this lifetime if you don't have an incredible bank of mercy to draw from. And he said in the sandwich between mercy and loyalty, there's things like how they translated it here, kindness. And words like generosity and humility that make up this word has said. And so what happened here is she's saying, hey, listen, you have been a, a woman, Ruth, who has shown has said to our family. Orpah, you have been a woman who has shown has said to our family. And so now, instead of doing what would be most convenient and best for me, the grieving widow, I want you women to go back to your family so that you can find some new husbands and be under the protection of your father and your brothers. She's doing the right thing there. And then it goes on to say this. She tries to talk him out of it. And it says in verse 14, then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. In other words, she took her up on that offer and said, yeah, I'm gonna go back home. And no shame in that. That, that was the practical, smart, safe, wise thing to do. But then listen, listen to Ruth. Ruth is something special, man. There's something powerful about this woman. That's why we're looking at her all month. But Ruth clung to her. And Naomi's like, she's doing right by her. She goes, look. Your sister-in-law's going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. And then some of you, you've used this, this, this biblical verse. You've used this in your marriages, some of you as vows. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. 
Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, she says, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. And I just wanna stop and think about this for a minute. If she can be that loyal to a mother-in-law, think of what kind of wife she must have been and is about to be, because spoiler alert, she's gonna marry this guy, Boaz, eventually. We're gonna get there in about week three. If she's that loyal in covenant to a mother-in-law that she risks everything because you see a woman in the ancient world with no husband was extremely unsafe. This is why God has such strong verbiage and law around how we treat widows because God knew how sinful and how broken and God knew this was a man's world, right? But God never set it up that way. Please understand me. If you think that God's got this hierarchy where men somehow have a higher place than women, now don't get me wrong, God is a God of order but he is not a God of preference. Women are as equal on every playing field as men in the kingdom of God. And God knew how unequal they would be treated in these ancient times. So he has strong law and language about how we treat widows. It would have been so unsafe for her not only to not have a husband, but then to go with her mother-in-law to a foreign land. She would have been so vulnerable, and yet she didn't do what was safe. And uh, Ruth didn't do what was expedient. And she didn't do what was practical. She didn't do what the world would have said was wise but she was loyal. And if there's one thing that I just want us, one good thing that I just want us to learn this week, we're not gonna solve a bunch of marriage problems this week. We're not gonna dig down and get super practical. We'll get there in the weeks to come. If there's just one thing I wanna start this series off with, it's this. When doing what is right and doing what is expedient, when those collide, by God's grace, just do what's right. Because there's gonna be endless moments in your life and in, listen to me, in your marriage. You married people, you've been there. Those crossroad moments like Ruth has here where you can do what's practical, wise, safe, expedient. You can make a case why it's the right thing to do by the world standards, but your heart just tells you that's not what God has for you. That's not the way God does it. See, God's kingdom's different than this world we live in. So there's gonna be these key moments like Ruth has here where she can do what's expedient or she can do what's right. And when you're a person who does what's right, even when it's inconvenient, you know what we call that? Character. And God always blesses character. Do you understand that? And I know some of you analytical people, I am one of you, I know what you're thinking. Well, I've done this one thing to the best of my ability. I've tried so hard in this one area. Maybe for you, it's like me. I, I, I haven't had a man or a, a woman to date for years, and I think I'm a pretty good catch as far as God's concerned. I've tried to be a person of character, and, and nothing's happening. Listen, God always blesses character, but here's the disclaimer. He rarely blesses character in the time frame and in the way that you would draw it up if it was up to you. And so many people, between their obedience and when God finally is ready to bless that obedience, so many people get messed with and caught up and end up going backwards and going back to their old decisions because they can't handle that vulnerable season. But listen to me, this is so important. The spoils of the kingdom of God, the blessing of the kingdom of God, healthy, functional, thriving relationships go to the men and to the women that when those key moments come where you can do what's expedient or you can do what's right, you by faith say, God, give me the grace to walk in character and do what's right like a Ruth or like a Boaz. And in doing that, God will always at the right time bless you.
But here's what I've learned over the years. God's providence rarely matches our preference. But his providence is the sweet place and it's real. So eventually, Ruth and Naomi, they got to Bethlehem finally. And here's where we pick up in chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing. Some of your Bibles will say a man of character. That's our theme word this month. From the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain, the scraps, if you will, behind anyone whose eyes I may find favor. And Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and she began to glean behind the harvesters. Now, I want you to listen to the language. I'm going to read it in the way I hear it. As it turned out, she happened to be, you're like, Chad, please stop doing air quotes. That's annoying. She happened to be working in the field that happened to belong to her future husband, Boaz, right? Who was from the clan of Elimelech. And I think it's so interesting. The more I get around men and women of God who aren't, of course, perfect, but who I know are people of character, it's amazing when you hear their testimony and hear their story, how many coincidences just seem to happen throughout their life. But do you understand the word coincidence isn't in the Hebrew language? There's no Hebrew word for the word coincidence because God doesn't do coincidence. God God doesn't do luck. That's not God's thing. God is providentially involved sovereignly in every aspect of your life, even the parts that you think he could care less about. It is amazing when you see people who walk in God's ways, not perfect, but again, trying, walking in the fear of the Lord. How many, I just happened to be there when this just happened to happen, and now all of a sudden, I've got this blessing that I never expected. And listen to me, God doesn't give that. I just happened to be story to certain people and not to others. He gives it to people who walk in the fear of the Lord and who walk in his ways and who make difficult decisions even when it's not expedient. And this is Ruth and Bo, and this is why we wanna learn from this power couple. Just then, go figure, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. He said, the Lord be with you. And they said, the Lord bless you. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters. We'll call him Bill. He's like, Bill, come over here. Question for you. Yes, boss. Boaz was the man. He was wealthy by these ancient standards. This was his field. This was his harvest. Bill, get over here. Got a question for you. Yes, sir. What do you need? Who's that? (laughs) Enter chemistry. We're going to talk a lot about that in week three because chemistry is not only good when used right, it's God-ordained. And a lot of pastors get up here and pick on chemistry and amplify character as we should. But listen to me, character and chemistry both matter in the equation of relationships. More to come on that in week three, I promise you. But he goes, hey, hey, who's that? Like I had that moment with Rachel. I didn't know anything about her. I didn't know her history. I didn't know where she came from. She was just in my row. And I stopped again and went, Who's that? He's having this moment. And the overseer, Bill, he goes, she's a Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. And she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. Sheaves are scraps. Whatever you guys don't deem worthy enough to eat and to use, I'll take those. So Boaz is going, I like this girl. I like her spirit. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Now Boaz is going, oh, she's a hard worker. Hmm. I like this girl. So Boaz says, Bill, you can leave now. And he goes up and he talks to Ruth. And here's what he says. My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. (laughs) It's happening. (laughs) Stay here with the women who work for me. Listen to this. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women 
Now listen to this. I have told the men, remember how, how dangerous I said it was? For especially an outsider, especially a foreigner, and especially a widow to go into a foreign land. He goes, I've told the man, men not to lay a hand on you. They didn't have HR back then. They didn't have sexual harassment videos back then. They didn't play by standard moral rules that you and I just go, duh, you don't do that. The ancient times, I'm telling you, were profoundly dark compared to what we understand and what we live in right now. Like unthinkable things. Men would have taken physical advantage of Ruth. Imagine, she's just come to help her mother-in-law in a really awful situation. They're both widows. They've both just been involved in such tragedy. And he, you know what he's got? He's got her back. He's like, I know how these men work. And guess what? I'm in charge of them. And not one of them's going to lay a hand on you, Ruth. I got your back. He says, and this is even more beautiful. He says, whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled. And here's why that's beautiful. Because there was a caste system out in the harvest fields when it came to the single most important thing you had to have to harvest well. Water, Right? And, and here, here's the caste system. A foreign woman, because again, women were nothing more than property. Now imagine being a Gentile, a foreign woman in the land, okay? A foreign woman would have to draw water for a foreign man who might be working out in the fields. The foreign man was in charge of getting water for the Israeli women, okay? And that was a humbling thing for a man to do anything back then for a woman. But the foreigner would have to get the water for the woman, then the women would every day draw the water for the men, the, the workers, and then the men would have to humble themselves and draw water for Boaz and Bill and the overseers, the guys. And so that was, that was the caste system. Now, now let's go back and see what he said. He says, Ruth, whenever you're thirsty, just met her. She's a foreign woman. She's got no right. She's got nothing to hang her head on. He says, whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars who have filled the men. The guys who get it for the big dog. And you know what he's saying? Whenever you're thirsty, you come drink from my jar. Not the Dasani, the Fiji. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You come drink from my jar. Do you know the statement he's making in that moment historically? Do you know he's putting his reputation and his business and his employees' situation and the, and, and the way they would work for him on the line when he says, I want you to bypass the whole caste system. And as unexpectedly as everyone would think, I want you to drink from my jar. And ladies and gentlemen, especially you ladies, I want you to listen to me for a minute. In, in week one, I just want to set a stage. I, I just want to cast some vision. This is exactly the standard you deserve, period. No balancing statements. Do you understand that? Look me in the eye of the eyes because some of you, you're so tempted to sell out for someone that's not God's best for you, that's not a Boaz-like in their character simply because you're tired of waiting and you're lonely. But listen to me, you deserve this type of protection and this type of wooing and this type of treatment. This is the type of character and chemistry that collided in the Garden of Eden before sin was ever supposed to get involved and make us lesser of people than God designed us to be. You are designed to be this. And gentlemen, listen to me. We were created to have that kind of spirit towards women. We were created to die to our women as Christ died for the church. That's the standard he gave us. And Boaz is showing us in this Old Testament pre-Christ era what Christ was going to come and do perfectly and the example that we as men would have for our women. I love this. He's like, man, I don't care what my workers think of me. I don't care what my reputation is in town. I don't care about anything. I, I see something with you, and I'm going to take care of you. 
If, if, if you're going to be, and we already know, it's foreshadowing, you're going to be my wife, you're going to be my girl, I'm going to take care of you. And every single person in here, but women, you deserve that. And men, we deserve to pray to God that by his grace, we would walk in that kind of character. There's no sweeter spot as a man than to go to bed real nice on your pillow at night knowing, while I may not be perfect, I am fighting to have that same spirit as Boaz because that spirit of Boaz is a foreshadowing spirit of Jesus Christ who would come and be the ultimate kinsman redeemer. That's what we're called to. I end with this verse. Ben, you can come on up. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground And she asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? And his answer is the same that I would have given Rachel. She never bowed down for me and said, why have I found such favor in your eyes? (laughs) She's like, where are we going to dinner? (laughs) Chili's or Applebee's? I'm like, girl, I'll take you to Cheddar's. I I got paid this week. Listen to Boaz reply, though. This reply is refreshingly unexpected. He says, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law. Do you hear that? Don't let that skip over you. She goes, why have I, a foreign woman, who's just trying to get scraps, why have I found favor in your eyes, Boaz, of all all these women out here? I look like a hot mess. There's no, he's not, because you're so hot. And you look so amazing right now, and, and it's just the, the chemistry's palpable. No, it's, I heard about your character. I heard what you did for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland, and you came to live with a people that you didn't even know before. He goes, that's the kind of woman I'm looking for. That's a woman of loyalty, and that's a woman of courage. And that's a woman of kindness and humility and generosity in the spirit that you showed my relative and your mother-in-law, Naomi. And he says this, he prays this over her. He said, may the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And what's so cool about when Boaz is praying that blessing and prayer over her, God's reply to Boaz would be, now you be that answer to prayer for her. And he was. And I I was blessed to marry a Ruth. By God's grace, I married a woman with such character and class and dignity and humility and generosity. And I know I didn't deserve her. But not only do I want this blessing on my wife, but I wanna be the funnel with which God blesses her in that way. Gentlemen, why wouldn't we want this? When you're saved by grace through faith and the gospel frees you up and calls you perfect, you no longer have to get your way. Gentlemen, we no longer have to fight for our rights. We no longer have to act and play the tough guy part. God's grace and God's mercy frees us up to go, God, give me, some, give me that woman in my life that I can lay it down for because you have laid your life down for me and been so good to me. Now let me pass that on to a woman. And, and, and women, you get to be that to a man. And that's the standard, this Boaz guy is the standard we should look for. And I know what some of you are thinking, well, I married, I won't call him a Boaz, I'll call him a something else ass. (laughs) Fill in the blank. God's mercies are new every morning, right? Either we believe that or we don't. 
And if God's mercies are new every morning, that means every single season of life, if you are still breathing, God has an opportunity to bring this into your life. It's gonna cost you, you're gonna pay prices of character, you're gonna pay prices of doing things right, maybe for the first time in your marriage or your relationship or your dating ever, but listen to me, this is what God has for us and it is a sweet place to be. And I don't want us to want character in this series because God said so. I want us to want character because it's, it's where God blesses. I want you to not have to do it. I want you to want to do it. I want to be there, but I'm broken and I'm human. And so I have to ask all the time, God, you got to make me a better man. Rachel deserved better than what I gave her this week. I was not my best man this week. I did not walk in the spirit of said this week, God, forgive me. And he says, my, nurse, my mercies are new every morning. Let's go. Let's go. You already got an A on the test. Sean talked about that last week. Now you're in classroom and we're learning here. When we're repenting, we're working the pencil in the classroom. When we're confessing our sins, when we're acknowledging our weaknesses, we're sitting in the classroom going, teacher, I still need some help. He's like, well, I can help you. You got an A already. Let's do this. So if you guys would stand in at all of our campuses, I just want to ask this question. Just one this week. Like I said, this was a week of casting vision. We're going to dig a little deeper each week into what this looks like. This is just part one, but I want to ask everyone to have a real honest moment. And so with every head up and every eye open, because we're family here and we have nothing to hide because we've been freed and made perfect by the grace of Jesus Christ. If you would say this has said spirit is so still incomplete in my heart and in my life. This loyalty, maybe some of you it's loyalty, maybe some of you it's mercy, maybe some of you it's humility, maybe some of you it's kindness, maybe some of you it's generosity, and you go, man, these particular aspects of Hesed are missing in my heart, and I get them wrong so often, and, and not applying these have cost me a lot of hurt, and other people hurt God. Help me. If you're like me, and you would acknowledge that so God can start this month to do a new work, would you just put your hand up and say, God, I just want by faith you to help me. I want you to help my heart. I want you to help my relationship. I want that sweet spot that Ruth and Boaz had. I know I want that. I've tasted just enough of what it looks like to walk in character, and I've got so far to go, but I've tasted just enough to go, why wouldn't we want this? This is what God wants from us, and this is what he blesses. Thank you guys at all campuses. I'm gonna pray, and we're gonna worship through this message. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that an ancient story, thousands of years old, can speak to us in 2017, right here, right now, exactly where we are at, God. We thank you for that. The power of your word. And God, when, when our faith, like we just raised our hands, when our faith connects with your word, miracles start to happen. And so I pray at every single one of our campuses this whole weekend that you would just start doing miracles and you would begin to plant seeds of character and seeds of obedience and seeds of courage in the hearts of every single one of us that in this lifetime, our relationships, although not perfect, would bring you glory and would bring you honor and would bring you praise for the glory of your son's name. We pray it all. Jesus Christ. At every campus, let's stand and let's worship.